Okay, so we're going to turn to our reading today, which is coming from John, uh, chapter 18, continuation of the trial of Jesus. And Jesus is here before Pilate. So we enter in at this very, very early hour. Remember, the cock has just crowed, giving us an indication of what sort of time of day or night that it is. Nobody's had any sleep. Everybody's been up all night. And Jesus has been persecuted by and interrogated by the Jewish people and by the leaders of Israel. So we'll take up our reading in chapter 18, starting at verse 28. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning. And to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, would we not have handed him over to you? Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Well, you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. And with this, he went out again to the Jews and gathered there, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. 
the Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. He went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. And finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Thanks very much, Jeff. Well, do keep that open. Let's pray for God's help. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your word to us. Help us to see in your word this morning all that you would have us see. Help us to understand what you would have say to us. And Lord, with the help of your Spirit, help us to apply these things to our lives that we would love Jesus more and serve him with all of our hearts. And we pray it for his name's sake. Amen. Well, last week we began by reminding ourselves that John chapter 18 and 19, which is before us, are a record of the final footsteps of Christ as he makes his way to the cross to die for our sin. And you may recall the words here in John chapter 17 where we began this series. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. And as the hour approaches, we've seen the glorious one betrayed already by Judas in the, in the garden. We've seen the glorious one denied by Peter in the high priest courtyard. And this morning we will see the glorious one condemned in the hands of Pontius Pilate. And that's where we'll finish this morning in verse 16 with those haunting and desperate words. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Now, I imagine many of the, the older generations will know this guy on the screen, Detective Columbo. Uh, for those of you who don't, Columbo is a fairly unique detective program because we actually found out who did it at the beginning of the program. They sort of have the beginning at the end. And then the rest of the programme is, is Columbo putting all the pieces together as he works out the why. 
And that's really what we've got before us this morning in John chapter 18 and 19, because we know where the story's heading. We know who dies, Jesus. We know who condemns him, Pilate. But the big question is why? What persuaded Pilate to do what he did? Or to put it another way, why did Pilate do what was wrong, i.e. condemn an innocent man when he knew what was right? Why did Pilate do what was wrong when he knew what was right? And that is a question that we're going to return to later. But before we get stuck into the detail, it's worth noting that this, this series of events that we've just had read to us is actually squeezed into a, into a three to four hour window on Good Friday morning. You see, we know from Mark's gospel that Jesus was crucified at about the third hour, approximately nine o'clock in the morning. The sky then went dark at 12 o'clock and it stayed dark for three hours during which time Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then by three o'clock, Jesus was dead. And so what we've just had read to us was squeezed into that, that window in the morning. It happened somewhere between, between sunrise and approximately nine o'clock in the morning when Jesus was crucified. And that's a whole lot of activity, right? There's a lot of coming and going in that time. There's a lot of activity to be, to be squeezed into those three to four hours to make sense of this morning. So as we try to make sense of it, we're going to do so by focusing in on the three main characters in the story. The Jewish leaders, Pontius Pilate, and the Lord Jesus. And we'll see that the Jewish leaders are full of hate. Pontius Pilate, we will find out, is full of fear. But thankfully, the Lord Jesus is full of grace. And so we're going to start by thinking about the Jewish leaders. And when we, when we left the story last time, you may remember we left it in the dark hours of the night, this sham of a trial before those Jewish leaders. And in verse 24, we looked at this last week, you may remember that Jesus was dragged off to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, as the sun rises on a new day, in verse 28, Jesus is dragged off again across Jerusalem, this time to stand before Pontius Pilate, as we read in verse 28. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. What an incredible irony there is, isn't there, in that verse? Here we find the Jewish leaders keeping up this pathetic pretense of ceremonial cleanliness, so much so that they refuse to walk into the, the Roman governor's, a Gentile person's arena, because it will make them ceremonially unclean and they won't be able to join in the Passover celebrations. Yet at the same time, these are the people who've just carried out an illegal trial through the dark hours of the night. They have bound Jesus. They have struck Jesus. They have spat on Jesus and motivated by nothing but jealousy and hate. 
They now hand him over to the Roman authorities to have him killed. And you see in verse 31, they don't even want a trial. They just want an execution. They're not here for justice. They just want Jesus dead. Jesus then, in verse 33, is taken from this very hostile public arena into the palace for a private consultation with Pilate where he clarifies just exactly what type of king he is in verse 36. But when Jesus is brought back out to stand again in that public arena, we find the Jewish leaders still lying in wait, baying for the blood of Jesus. Verse 38, look, with this, Pilate went back out again to the Jews gathered there and said to them, I find no basis for a charge against them. And he continues in verse 39. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. So great is their hatred towards Jesus. They would rather see a convicted murderer in the form of Barabbas released instead. And Pilate, as you read on, obliges. He does release Barabbas, and instead he gives over Jesus to be flogged there in verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. You see, it's a simple statement that hides a quite horrible reality. Flogging was referred to by many as the, as the pre-death death. So common was it for people to die before they even reached the cross for crucifixion. The prisoner would have been strapped to a pole. A whip was made out of little bits of bone and metal and would have been thrashed again and again against this helpless body. So much so that, as we read in some accounts, the internal organs were exposed. And all this pain and all this brutality is captured there in that one word in verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And so the mutilated Messiah which is what he would have been after this flogging, is then brought back out before the people once more. No doubt the scene that the prophet Isaiah had in mind in chapter 52, verse 14, written 700 years before this event took place. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. The King of glory, the divine Son, the Word became flesh, was disfigured beyond human recognition. But not even this was enough for the Jewish leaders. No love, no compassion, only hate. As you read in verse 6, as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. The moment this bruised and beaten Messiah is brought back in front of them, they cannot help but shout out, crucify him, crucify him. No love, no compassion, only hatred. 
and they keep on pushing. Look, verse, verse 7, they insisted. Verse 12, they kept shouting. And then again in verse 15, they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. And in the end, Pilate caves in to their wicked demands and Jesus is handed over to be crucified. Now, when we're confronted with such intense hatred, it should trigger, I think, at least two responses in the human heart this morning. Firstly, a recognition of just how broken this world is. Oh, how deeply broken humanity is, that people could feel like they felt, that people could do what they did to the Lord of glory, to one who'd shown nothing but love and compassion and grace and kindness. Why did they hate him so? Did they hate him for healing sick people? Did they hate him for raising the dead? Did they hate him for casting out evil? Did they hate him for for teaching people how to love one another? What we see in these Jewish leaders is a blind hatred which shows just how broken and fallen this world has become. It is a world at enmity with God and a world that is in need of redemption. When we see this account before us, it should wake us up firstly to just how broken this world is, but secondly, it should trigger within us a realisation of how glorious our Saviour is, of what he was willing to go through for our sake of the pain he was willing to bear on our behalf, of the depths he was willing to descend to at the cross in order to deal with our sin and brokenness. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Pierced crushed, punished, wounded. Why? Not for his sin, but for ours. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus suffered silently so that we might rejoice eternally. Firstly, then, we find the Jewish leaders who are full of hate. Secondly, we find Pontius Pilate, who is full of fear. Now, of course, the Bible speaks of a a healthy fear, doesn't it? The fear of the Lord, a reverence, an awe, which comes from a right recognition of self and a right view of Almighty God. But this is not the fear that Pilate was full of. Three times Pilate brings Jesus into his palace. Three times he comes back out. And on each time, he declares the innocence of Jesus. Verse 38, verse 4, and verse 6. And on each occasion, he says exactly the same thing. I find no basis for a charge against him. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent, yet he still condemned him. He knew what was right, but he did 
what was wrong. Why? Because he feared man instead of God. Have a look down at verse 12, which comes after the the second private consultation that Pilate has with Jesus. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. And so the Jewish leaders play their trump card. They knew how precarious Pilate's position was. They knew how ruthless Caesar Tiberius was, the Roman emperor. Any disloyalty to Caesar, any hint of supporting a revolutionary like Jesus would have spelt the end for Pilate, and he knew it. And so with that, Pilate's mind is made up. And in verse 13, he takes his seat to give his verdict. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. Must have been one of those moments when time seems to stand still, right? The size and the scope of this moment that stood before the people. Some of you will be familiar with that picture on the screen there. It's the, it's the stop clock at Old Trafford. Stopped at exactly four minutes past three. 6th of February 1958, commemorating the Munich air disaster. It is a stopped clock to remind the Manchester United fans of, of what happened on that day back in 1958. It's a significant moment for Manchester United fans. But the moment before us here is in a different category altogether. This is a moment of eternal significance. It's another stopped clock moment. After all the the coming and, and the going and the public hostility and the private consultations, all that activity squeezed into those three hours. So Pilate sits down to give his verdict. And you can imagine, can't you, the angels in heaven peering out, almost holding their breath as they await those words that come from Pontius Pilate. And in verse 16, Pilate finally handed him over to them to be crucified. Pilate knew what was right, but he did what was wrong. Why? Because he feared man instead of God. Now, there's a whole host of applications we could make here in the context of peer pressure. We've all been in situations when we know what is right, but we do what is wrong because of the world and the pressure of the people around us. Drinking to excess, maybe on a night out, gossiping at the school gate, failing to speak of Christ because we're scared of what people might say or think, and the list goes on and on. All because we fear what people will think or say rather than stand in awe of who God is. But maybe the saddest application is the one that is closest to the text this morning. Pilate didn't listen to Jesus and he had condemned the only one who could save him because he feared the people around him. And sadly, so many people do the same today. After hearing about Jesus, after hearing the truth of the gospel, they actually end up rejecting that truth 
because of a fear of what others might think or say or do. Have a look back at chapter 18, verse 36. This is during the first private consultation that Jesus has with Pilate. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. The truth is dismissed. Jesus is condemned. And with that, Pilate seals his own eternal fate. Oh, to pray that people would learn from the mistakes of Pontius Pilate and listen to the Lord Jesus, truth incarnate, truth himself who speaks life into this world for our sake. Firstly, we find the Jewish leaders full of hate. Secondly, we find Pontius Pilate full of fear. Thankfully and gloriously, thirdly, we find the Lord Jesus who is full of grace. You see, in many ways, this has been a a pretty dark passage, isn't it? Full of hate, full of fear. But as always, God's word, light is breaking into darkness. Grace is ready to triumph over fear. And here we have at least four instances of beautiful grace, of wonderful light, a shaft of hope that is shining into the darkness of this situation and the darkness of our world today. And the first one is this, Jesus came to rescue us from this dark and broken world, which is apparent from the two references that we see there to the Passover. Chapter 18, 28, and chapter 19, verse 14. You see, it's no coincidence that these things were happening at a time when Israel looked back to God's deliverance of his people from slavery in Egypt. And so now as Jesus takes his final few steps to the cross, so we have another deliverance on the horizon, a far greater deliverance that comes through the death of God's own Son who will bear sin in our place and break the bondage of sin and death for all those who trust him. A magnificent and glorious deliverance is coming as Jesus walks to the cross. Jesus came to rescue. Secondly, Jesus is the sinless sacrifice or rescuer. Back in chapter 1 of John's Gospel, verse 29, when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming towards him, he says, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And throughout his Gospel, John is at pains to show us that Jesus is indeed that sinless sacrifice, the Lamb without blemish who came to take away the sin of this world. It's why he records those three occasions in which Pilate stepped out and publicly declared Jesus to be innocent. Jesus came to rescue. He came to rescue as the sinless sacrifice, and he came to do it by dying 
as our substitutes. Chapter 19, verse 2 and 5. Have a look on the screen. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe. From Genesis chapter 3, thorns have been a symbol of God's curse and judgment on this world. Remember the perfect world that God made? And then when sin came into the world, it became a world that was full of thorns and thistles. The thorns are a symbol of God's judgment. And so you see what's happening here as Jesus walks the cross. The judgment of God is beginning to fall upon the Son of God. God's judgment is falling on Christ for our sake in order that it might pass over us. And then our second picture is there in verse 39 of 40, which we've looked at briefly already. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. What a picture that is, isn't it? The innocent one is condemned and the guilty one walks free. And that's the heart of the gospel, isn't it? Him for me. Jesus in my place, my sinless saviour and substitute. And then finally, as we draw things to a close, it's what we saw at the end of last week. Jesus, once again, he's in supreme control. Verse 9 of chapter 19. Pilate went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? In Greek, it's the other way around. To me, to me, do you refuse to speak? And he did. Jesus didn't give him an answer. Jesus says only the authority that's been given from above is an authority you have. Pilate, you've got no power. You've got no authority to crucify me other than the authority that has been given to you from above and what we see here is our sovereign God supremely in control graciously giving over some of that authority to Pilate in order that Jesus might be given over to death for our sake and so the jigsaw is complete yeah we've known from the beginning who died Jesus we knew who condemned him already Pilate but the questions we wanted to answer is why and we see it there for three reasons. One, because the Jewish leaders were full of hate. Secondly, because Pilate was full of fear. But most importantly, because King Jesus is full of saving grace. Why don't you take a moment to digest some of those things, then we're going to sing our final song together. <laughs>